Hey, good morning, church family. You can be seated. Yes. Hi, everybody. Good. Everybody's good. Everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, it's, uh, it's beautiful to be back together. So many of you have asked me this week, what was wrong with the plumbing last week? It's such a boring story that mostly I don't understand the answer. <laughs> but you could ask Pastor Aaron. She'll explain it to you. Uh, I know for sure that when um, you flush the toilet, nothing happened. So therefore, you were not allowed to come to church last week. So that's, that's what I knew for sure. So we're really glad to be back together. What a, what a gift our camp is to us. And I'm, I'm so glad we're kind of ramping into realizing that it's been going on for such a long time. I forget how many years Brayside Camp has been around. They were kept announcing it. I kept 87 years. And we're sort of rediscovering it. Um, I mean, I, my family is. Kind of COVID helped us with that a little bit. And so we hope you can join us tonight for a service there instead of our usual deep roots. Um, but I'm really, am, of course, so glad to be back with you guys here today. So last week in her spirit, Pastor Aaron shared the first message of this series, but not in reality, right? <laughs> it's where she sees at the back, right? Pastor Aaron, she, her message was great and it was ready for you and you will hear it in August. Um, but so we are technically now starting our summer series, even though it's the middle of July. And we are doing a series we're calling Keys to the Kingdom, Unlocking the Parables, because there's so many incredible parables that Jesus teaches on. And so we are going to preach through some of them this summer. And the reason we call it Keys to the Kingdom is because so often uh, when Jesus uses parables, he is using a parable to describe something about the kingdom, the upside-down kingdom of God, from upside down from the way we see things in the kingdom of this world and really how things, how things actually are. So um, we're going to get into these. It's really fun. I have I've finished writing uh, first drafts on all of my messages for the summer, and man, did I ever enjoy putting these messages together. So let's dive into the first one. Are you ready? Luke chapter 16, jump to Luke chapter 16. This morning, the parable of the shrewd manager. If you are new with us, we want to let you know. And of course, off campus, you can let you know that you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, go to more and then events, and you'll find our event here. And you can follow along. The scriptures are already loaded for you. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 16, I'm reading in the NIV. Let's read uh, a little bit of this, and then we'll, we'll continue this passage in just a moment. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus says. Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer, you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not, this is, I love the honesty right here. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, thank you. At least you know who you are. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of, gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed 
into eternal dwellings. I hope, I hope every single one of you, unless you have studied this scripture and you feel confident in it, are going, I'm sorry, pardon me, what? Because if that's not what you're saying, then I'm going to read it again because you missed a little bit of it. Especially verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Did you catch that? you got to love this parable just for its, its initial shock value. Lowly Jesus, meek and mild, just threw a bomb into the conversation. So what is going on here? What is going on here? I, I, kind of, I, I talked about this a little bit, but... It's important to note that parables are not necessarily examples of, of, of what to do, of how to act specifically, like a one-to-one example, but they are stories to emphasize a point. And they are, like I said, often something that we need to understand about how the kingdom of God works. So we're always looking at a parable through those lenses, not that we're supposed to imitate necessarily every person in the story, but that we're looking for the principle that Jesus is trying to teach us specifically about the kingdom in his parables. And it is not uncommon for Jesus to use a shocking picture to get his message across. You're going to find that as we go through these. Just think about maybe um, a great example of this that we're not going to cover this summer is the the parable in Luke 18 of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. And the the judge is is mean and cruel and, and, and unjust. And the persistent widow just like bugs him so much that he finally gives her justice. So we're not to understand that the that God is unjust and that because he's like the judge and, and it's not at all. It's that we're supposed to get this kind of shocking picture so we can understand um, a little bit more about how the kingdom works, uh, but not a one-to-one uh, connection between the characters in the story and God or us in particular. Um, it's just remembering to take a bigger picture. We're looking for a principle and Jesus uses a little bit of shock value to get us there. Because he, he says, um, he was often questioned about uh, why he uses parables. Why would you do it? Why would you just talk about it like this? And, and he basically says, I don't want to just lay out these principles in three points for you. I want you to have ears to hear. And I want you uh, to wrestle through things. It's good, it's good for you to hear something and then ask a question. It's good for you to wrestle through the principle. It's good for you to think about it for yourself. It's good for you to think when it comes to these spiritual things and to internalize and to understand and to really grapple with these things and as opposed to Jesus just preaching these things in a three-point message. So in this particular case, the parable of the shrewd manager, this first glance makes it look like Jesus is telling us to be like the dishonest manager and use money to manipulate things for ourselves and for others um, and for him. And you have to ask yourself, first of all, can this be what Jesus is saying? And and if you say, no, that doesn't line up, why, why can it not be what Jesus is trying to teach us here, to manipulate things for ourselves and for him? It's because it's out of his character, right? So you read the rest of the Gospels. You read what we know about Jesus. You read how he taught. You read how he lives his life. He's not just going to jump in here to the, into the Luke's Gospel and say, oh, by the way, I want you to be dishonest and manipulate money for, for me and for you. It doesn't line up with his character or his other teachings. And so when that happens, we dig. There's something else going on here. And in fact, scholars have been digging around at this parable for a really long time. I would say maybe likely since the day it came out of Jesus' mouth. And people were just like, you guys this morning, what? Did you just say Jesus? So let me give you a couple of uh, possible interpretations. Scholars are all over the map on this one. Like kind of in a theme, but a little bit all over the map. I'm going to give you a little bit of that. 
And then the cool thing about this particular parable, it doesn't always happen, but in this one, Jesus leads us not to the explanation of the parable so much as, as the application points to this parable, which is really cool. So let's look at what, uh, what scholars think the interpretation to this principle might be. So one common explanation is that uh, the manager here, the shrewd manager, is commended not because of his dishonesty, but because um, he took solid action in a crisis. He saw a crisis, and he, he did something definitive and decisive. And Jesus knew that, um, and he taught a lot about the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom. We're also talking about his second coming and, and all of those things. So Jesus knew that for the for people to be looking for his second coming, for his followers to be really looking for his second coming, it would force them to make decisions that were like that were every day, that were uh, take like solid action every day in in a crisis of the world around them. They were going to have to make a decision about him. They were going to have to 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 make those kinds of things like the manager did, and so so. Even when dishonest, worldly people know how to do that, take solid, decisive action in a crisis, how much more should those who follow him know how to do that? So it's the wisdom and the foresight of the manager that's commended, not his business practices. It's one pretty solid interpretation of this parable. Another is that, um, is that Jesus' followers need to use their uh, money for spiritual purposes, just as, uh, um, as wisely as the people of the world do uh, for themselves with their material possessions. So our goal as Christ followers is treasure in heaven. So we should use our money for things like charity, things that are going to last, because these things will gain us friends and they will help us when money fails, because money will fail eventually, if not in, this li- in your lifetime for sure when you die because you can't take it with you. So that's kind of another idea of this parable, which is, again, pretty legitimate. But another option, and one I really like in this context as well, is that we maybe need to understand differently what the manager is doing. So we don't know exactly if this is correct, but there's a lot of, a lot of work in, in the scholarly fields about this because, again, there's a 2,000-year difference between when it was first said in the culture of the time and now. So some of it, of course, we're studying 2,000 years past and looking at uh, records and trying to figure things out. But there is an interesting idea here. And is this that it's likely that the manager, the way he got paid was to charge interest. So he's managing uh, the... the uh, for the master, he's managing his properties, and he's got, he's got these tenant farmers, and he charges the tenant farmers interest, and in, that's the interest is, that, is what he gets paid from. So he charges them what he wants to charge them in order for him to gain what he needs to gain for himself. And so that is kind of the context of what's going on here. So when the master found out that the manager was wasting his resources, so whatever he found out and whatever the situation was, and he knew he was going to get fired... The manager looks around at his options and he decides it is better for him to give up his profit for the sake of his future than to hold on to what, to what he tried, was trying to have now and then, and then and ruining his future, having to beg or to do hard labor, which he said he was not fit to do. And so what the manager did was call in the debtors and instead of demanding the payment so that he could try to get out of that, that tenant what they could, instead of that, he forgave that, his, his portion of, of the debt, that interest that was due. And so he made the debtor happy. He made his master look good. And actually, it was also in obedience to the law, which said they weren't supposed to be charging interest like that to each other in the Israelite community anyway. 
So the master is actually commending his ability to recognize his situation, let go of that money, and be wise with his future. Does that make sense? So just another way to understand it, if, if that's culturally what he was doing, what that he wasn't really reducing the master's um, uh, rent. He was, he was reducing what he was going to make off of it and therefore was investing in his future by letting go of what was in the present. You see where I'm going with this. Okay. Can you see that now? Yeah. This one and, and the other, even the other two interpretations, they're, they're, good, they're, they're good interpretations. Um, but what we don't know for sure is, of course, what the disciples um, who, who Jesus was talking to here or the Pharisees who the Bible says were standing nearby listening, how they would have exactly understood because we don't live in that culture in that time. Some of, some of it is lost in 2,000 years of changing culture. But what we do know from this particular parable that any one of those interpretations is helpful to us, teaches us, and we can, and we can hold on to those principles. Um, but we do know something really cool, like I already mentioned, is that Jesus said some really significant things uh, to apply this story to our lives right after this in, in Luke's uh, account here in, in chapter 16. So let's, let's start to um, unpack Jesus' applications to us and let's see where we, where we end up. So again, I'm gonna read verses eight and nine again. That's the first application point. Jesus said, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The master praised the manager for acting shrewdly, is the word we have here in the English. And that word is used by Jesus, interestingly, in other places in the Gospels, to describe the attitude he wants his disciples to have when it comes to his second coming. I had to think about that for a while when I read it, and I had to... I actually opened my, opened my study guide to the, to the word that was being used there. Jesus uses the same word to describe how he wants his followers to think about his second coming shrewdly. Because what it means is, is for someone to use insight and to be wise. That's the idea here. So Jesus uses it maybe in, in a different context, but the same word and the same idea. That when we think about Jesus' second coming, we are also to think of it um, in in. With, you, with wisdom and with insight, to be shrewd and thoughtful about the future. That's the idea here. So Jesus is saying to them, he says, you know, look at your resources that you have in your hand right now and think about how best to use them. Because people with no relationship with Christ do this often very, very well. In fact, that's what we call in the world success. People who have resources and know how to use them well. That's a successful person. People who can build businesses, who can use wealth to create a life that they want. Um, those are people we admire. Those are people that we hold up as examples of winning, aren't they? They look at what they have and they use it to build what they want. And the trouble is, in the world's value system, when they do that, what they are building has no eternal value. But the insight for us is still useful here. Because we, in following Jesus then, should be looking at our resources with that same kind of shrewdness or insight or wisdom, but for a different outcome than the world. 
You're supposed to use what you have to gain a reputation for someone who helps, for someone who is generous, for someone who meets needs, for someone who is a blessing. And in the end, the stuff itself is going to be gone, but you will have built up all kinds of treasure in heaven. Same principle applied differently, applied to eternity. You with me, church? Just barely. We'll get there. It's okay. (laughs) Off campus, you're with me, yeah? Yeah, okay. Thank you. The shrewdness, this insight that we're aiming for is to have the right perspective in our lives and to use that perspective well. And that is the principle that's commendable to Jesus. That's what's being commended here. So Jesus himself makes that application. Then he goes on. Let's read verses 10 to 12. Same passage. Here we go. Jesus continues on. If you have a red letter Bible like me, you'll see it's just consistently read in here. This is all Jesus. This is not... uh, This is not a commentary on what Jesus said. It's it's his words. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy uh, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So this one makes, uh, I like this principle from Jesus because it makes perfect sense for other people. (laughs) Doesn't it? I can't trust you with that. I've seen how you do that. It makes good sense for other people. It's very difficult to apply to ourselves. Like maybe at work, you're like looking at those 20-somethings coming in here, waltzing in here right out of college, thinking that they should be making as much as me with five weeks vacation in a corner office. you got to earn that. you got to earn that over time. You earn that vacation. You earn that corner office. You don't just waltz in here and think that you deserve it, right? <laughs> There's a couple of amen. This is mmm, yes. It's easy to see in other places. But let me say it like this. If I win the lottery, which I don't play, caveat, I, I, I could do so much good with that money. I would be so totally trustworthy. Uh, okay. So many of those other people go bankrupt. I know the statistic is horrifying. People go bankrupt. Those dopes go bankrupt. I would not do that. I would not. That would not be me. I could totally be trusted with, what was the jackpot you said the other day? $70 million? Yes, Lord. Like, I could be trusted with that. No problem. I don't need to, I don't need to prove anything. You, I know you can just trust me. I wouldn't be one of those statistics. Do you ever play that game? Um, if we won the lottery. Do you guys ever play this game? Rob and I do this a lot. We'll just like, drive by a billboard that's like, you know, today's Lotto Max is an estimated whatever. And we'll be like, oh, what would we do with $10 million or whatever? And then we go through the list of things. You have played this game. You probably don't even play the lottery, but you've played this game, right? Yes, okay, you know this game. Well, first we'd pay off the house. <laughs> then we'd buy a house for our parents just to say thank you. Like, whatever, like, you'll have, you have your list and you know you do. Like, I want a nice car, but, like, not a Lamborghini, because that's just crazy. This is the game you play. And then, of course, we give some to the church, like, obviously. Like, you, you do this. I know you played this game. I know you played this game. When was the last time you were driving by a billboard for Lotto Max? That is a Canadian chair. So that's one in Canada, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about American one, whatever. You know what I mean. You drive by the billboard. Here's the estimated jackpot. And you said, you just turned to your spouse and said, Wow, that's a lot of money. You know, we have a long track record of living beyond our means and making poor financial decisions. 
I don't think this lottery would be a good choice for us because we really haven't shown our trustworthiness in this area, have we? When was the last time you played that game with your spouse? You did not. It has never happened in your lifetime. You see, the principle of starting small and growing trust is pretty obvious when you read it on paper, but it can be hard to see in applying to our own lives. Because obviously, we can be trusted. We can be trusted. Trustworthiness matters in all things. And it can only be proven over time. Just like the life of being a disciple of Jesus. It's a day-by-day walk. It's one decision at a time. It's showing up when you said you'd be there over and over and over again. It's following through on those promises in any and every way you, you can when you have the power to do so. It's obeying the prompting of the Spirit in the small things, in the small ways every day. It's submitting your finances to God and consistently sticking to your budget and wisely spending and saving and investing and giving your resources generously. And each day by doing these things, you build credit. Each day you handle the wealth of the world with wisdom, with shrewdness. Each day you grow in discipleship and that opens your life up to like more and more possibilities and more and more opportunities and more and more ability to to touch the people around you and have your life used in incredible ways by the Lord. Every day, small things. And Jesus is using the shrewd manager here to remind us that money, the money we think we own is not ours at all. But we, and if if we keep this perspective that everything we have is from God, and that we are no more, manager, more, no more than managers of it. It changes everything. We can't take it with us even when we die. We just hold that as a principle in our life. It will change our ability to be trusted with more. David was giving an offering, King David, in, in 1 Chronicles 29. And, and he said it like this. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This principle of everything is the Lord's, and we are simply managing, is all woven through Scripture. If we handle it badly, we show that we aren't trustworthy to use true heavenly riches, which are ours to store up, Scripture says. The stuff that we store up in heaven is ours permanently. And if we handle it well and we show that we can be trusted with with whatever God would want to put in our lives, big or small, it changes what comes next. If he gives us something to manage, we'll do it shrewdly. We'll do it with insight. We'll do it with wisdom in this life so that we store something up that actually matters in the life to come because it's all his anyway. One commentator uh, was commenting about, uh, about what he thought the disciples might have heard when Jesus gave this parable and then his applications here. He wondered if they dismissed the parable because they had given up everything already for Jesus. They didn't have anything. They barely had the clothes on their backs. They had no worldly resources that we know of. So the message of this parable was probably not for them. It was for other people. And so perhaps that's why Jesus makes these applications as he does right here, right out of this parable without taking a breath, without them needing to say a word or ask a question or make a rebuttal. Because he needs them to understand that no matter how few resources you have in the world standards, you still have to be trustworthy and generous with them. And that's how you're trusted with more. 
But Jesus isn't quite finished yet. Let's go to verse 13 and, and read the end of this passage. A couple more verses. Jesus wants to apply this parable to for us. He says this, no one can serve two masters. This is a famous one. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Did you know that this very famous passage of scripture, you can't serve both God and money, maybe you've, I assume that most of you have heard that before, even if you're kind of new to church, you probably heard that phrase. It comes from this kind of shocking parable. Jesus is now taking the concept of stewarding the resources of our lives, which is a really, really important concept, being trusted with little, you can be trusted with much, and the opposite is also true. If you can't be trusted with, with the little things, how can you be trusted with much? And he, he just breaks it down one level further, and he's like, it's about, it's, it's stewardship, it's about being trusted with things in life and whatever, but just to be very, very clear with you, I'm also very specifically talking about money. Let's not, let's not mince our words here. It's not just about time. It's not just about, you know, these things. It's about specifically he wants to make sure we catch this message. Stewarding and managing our lives is a, is a whole concept for, to be absolutely sure. But in this particular passage, Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that. He, he goes right for the jugular here. And the disciples who he's teaching here need to understand the direct application the pharisees need to hear this direct application and friends we need to hear this direct application from jesus he's saying don't let yourselves off the hook disciples even though you have very little as in terms of worldly possessions don't let yourselves off the hook pharisees who love money and have so much wealth at your disposal Nobody's off the hook here. Don't let yourself off the hook. This message is so important. Money will be your master or God will be your master. That is the condition of the human heart. You have to choose whether you're going to serve God or money, period. You have to pick a side because there is no middle ground. You will serve one or you will serve the other. So what started in verse 1 in this parable as sort of a, say what? What was that, Jesus? What is this, what is this parable and, and who is he commending and what, what is he saying? What started in that parable has, now Jesus has settled it with these applications into a sobering heart check. I hope you feel that this morning because I, that was certainly his intention. The sobering heart check is, is, is simply this. Am I trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? Jesus, when you look at my bank account, am I trustworthy? Jesus, when you look at my budget, am I trustworthy? Jesus, when you look at my house and my car and my stuff, and how I hold on to them and what I use them for, am I, say with me, trustworthy? Does my life model generosity that, that lives with open hands and a mind full of understanding? 
where it actually truly all has come from and continues to come from? Do I live with a heart that is anchored on the principle that God is my provider? God is my provider. God is my provider. So this belongs to him. Am I anchored in that place every day? Am I serving God and not money? Am I spending my money now like I am investing in my eternity or like I'm investing in my present comfort? Am I able to be shrewd like the way that the world invests in the things that they want? What I want more than anything is to stand in front of Jesus and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in this kingdom. Come and be a part of this. Look at this treasure you've served. That's what I'm looking for, friends. Everything that I do with my money now, as fun and as, as, many, as many things that we can buy on this earth that are cool and interesting and fun for now, those things are literally all, you know what? Like my daughter bought a new phone yesterday. It is going to be obsolete in three years, let alone eternity. You know what I mean? Like, you guys know this. this is, we have to have the perspective. And the culture says the opposite. The culture says, chase, 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 chase. And I say, listen to what Jesus is saying. What I really want is the shrewdness, the wisdom to invest in my future, my eternal future, and not in my present. And so how am I doing that with what is in my hand? It's sobering. It should be sobering all the time in a really beautiful discipleship way to take this necessary lesson from Jesus and do a heart check, his own application to his own parable. Say, what, does, what, what do you see, Jesus, when you are calling, calling to account the things, the resources, the money, everything that I have in my life? Matt, why don't you come and help us? I want to just take a minute this morning and do what I, I think was the point of this parable, which I've already said, is to just have a heart check this morning. Just have a heart check. Jesus gives us this lesson, and then he, and then he says, and, and, and this about trustworthiness, and, and, and this about storing up treasure in heaven, and, and this about who you can't, you can't serve God and money, you have to choose. How shrewd are you, friends? How shrewd are you? What are you investing in? And what are the things in your life that the Lord might be saying, you are holding on really, really tight to this, thinking that you've provided for yourself. Everything belongs to me. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me with it? Why don't you take it and invest it in things that are going to be in the future? I, and here's the thing. I don't know exactly what that means for you. I don't know what the Lord specifically would be calling you to, but I will tell you this. From my own life, um, as Rob and I have, have consistently tried to do this, and we have made so many, we've made so many mistakes, and we've done this poorly so, so often. But the cry of, of our hearts would be, Lord, and I say this because we are married. If you're single, of course, this is, you know, your, your decision. But as a family, uh, these, are things you, these are decisions you make together as a, as a discipleship point. I'll tell you that every time I have prayed a prayer and asked the Lord to check my heart, he has shown me something specific. He'll say something about, he'll show me, you know, I want you to, to meet this need here or 
I want you to change the way that you are spending your money here. I want you to just, just, just an idea will come in. In case this is a new idea for you, what it's like to listen to the Lord speak to you, it's really just an idea will come into my mind that I don't, I don't have those ideas on my own. You should give away more money or whatever it is. It's usually not from me. It's usually from the Lord. And he'll lead me to something or say, you know, or, you know, that thing that you're, that you're really, you're trying to, you're trying to get for yourself. You need to just let that go. You're spending too much time thinking about this and you, and you need to just walk away and, and be free of that and just allow me to provide. You need to trust me with this next thing or this next decision in your life, whatever it is. And the Lord will start to just put those thoughts into your heart. And so I just want to invite you to that prayer this morning with me because I know I'm just going to say that from my life, he's been so faithful when I have asked him to reveal, like, how can I apply these principles of scripture to my life? He's just so faithful to drop these ideas and thoughts. And even so often, um, you know, as, as you do that, if, if you're married, if you do that together as a family, how often um, your hearts will align around something, a decision you need to make or a change you need to make or... Or maybe you just hear this morning from the Lord, you're going in the right direction. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just continue to be generous. Continue to trust me. Whatever. I don't know what he's going to say to you. But I want to invite you to that moment of prayer. There's a, a hymn that's been, of course, Chris Tomlin modernized it a little bit. I think it was Chris. Chris, my buddy, my buddy Chris, like I know him. Maybe I do. I don't know. Uh, it's an old hymn that's kind of been redone, but the, the lyrics are so beautiful as a song of surrender. And it literally says, take my life. And then starts to list all the things in our life. Take my life and let it be consecrated. Consecrated meaning just set apart. Set apart for thee. Everything in my life. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Everyone knows what a mite is, Right? like old money, <laughs> old money, old way to say money. Take my moments and my days. Take my time, Lord. Take everything you want from me. All of this is yours. So I want to invite you to, to pray with me through this song, and then we're going to pause for prayer together and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak so that as we get into these scriptures, he would, he would be, um, able to, we'd be able to apply them and walk them out in our discipleship life. Let's stand together. Matt, would you lead us? Let's pray together.